to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 11th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of August 16th, 2020. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast. And boy, has this been just kind of an interesting ride here as we're kind of going through these Gospels. We're getting some really deep text, I feel like, the last few weeks, and this week continues on that same momentum slide. And as we're in this season of Pentecost, I always see this as a time of year where we're really doing a lot of the growth within our own faith at this time of the year. We're looking at this being the longest season of the church year, this time where we're really going through these stories, really dissecting, really trying to grow. And it's such an interesting time because of the way that the world is in and that in a way things have really slowed, in a way things have gotten crazier, but it allows us the opportunity if we slow ourselves to really dig into these texts and really look at what is some of the stuff that Jesus is talking about, is speaking about. And I don't know about you, but I know for myself, I'm seeing that these texts are coming alive in a much different way than I have ever seen them come alive before. I think there's a lot of newfound way of looking at these texts this year, especially with how the way that the world is. It just forces us to continue to look deeply into these things. And when I look back to last week's Twitter question, I think I went there again. Have you thought about the need for healthy doubt? And are you keeping your eyes fixated on Jesus? Both of these ideas are so important, how we need to have that healthy doubt, that amount of doubt that keeps us honest. But as you'll see this week, we get a little bit of a contrast within the gospel text, but also the idea of keeping our eyes fixated on Jesus and what does that mean. And especially when we look at the gospel text this week, as you'll see, it really spins things around. And I think when we look at the world in which we're in, and as I look at the world in this moment of hitting the reset button on the computer, that it we're really giving us time to reset, reevaluate, relook at things. I think there are some things that we can look at and science has definitely reflected some on that in the past and there's definitely some stories of people that we haven't talked about enough and so this week we'll get into those a little bit and this should be a really fun week and I'm really excited about it so let's jump right into it. The gospel text this week is out of Matthew chapter 15 optionally 10 through 20 and verses 21 through 28. First, we get this interesting discussion coming with the disciples talking about what they're hearing the Pharisees talk about. And that there's this idea of what are you doing, Jesus? We're seeing this upheaval that you're talking about. And he kind of starts it off even just really hot coming in starting actually at the end of verse 10, listen and understand it is not what goes into your mouth that defiles a person, but what comes out of your mouth that defiles. And so they're having this debate back and forth. And then we get this transition of Jesus moving into the district of Tyrene and Sidon, which is from the Old Testament, have broken away, would have been following their own idols, definitely not Israelite people. Jesus is the outsider in this situation. And this woman comes crying out, 
And it says in verse 22, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. Jesus doesn't initially respond. The disciples are trying to push her away. And then finally, Jesus makes a statement. And it's not the statement that we expect. He answers in verse 24, I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. She responds with, Lord, help me. Jesus responds with, it is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. And she responds with, yes, Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then we get this amazing moment here from Jesus. Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done as you wish. And her daughter then is healed. Two things here. One, this is the only time in Matthew's gospel that we get Jesus saying, great is your faith, compared to last week where he's saying, comparing little faith that Peter has. Oh, you with little faith. This is the only time in scripture where we get great faith. And granted, this is also, to me, almost feels a little bit Old Testament where you're seeing God almost being talked into something here. It's very interesting correlation that it's a woman and it's coming from outside of the tribe of Israel. Super, super exciting, especially when we're comparing it to what has just stated before and how Jesus is talking about it. It's what is coming out of people that's more important. And then that love that we are supposed to still continue to show these people and that our own selves that end up causing us to fall. So it's this really interesting interplay. And we'll dive a little bit more into that here in a few minutes. The first reading is from Isaiah chapter 56, verse 1 and 6 through 8. And as Ralph Jacobson would say in the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, this is the beginning of Isaiah 3. So this is the kind of this beginning of this praise that we have that when we join with God and are really understanding what he does, it's that that salvation and the deliverance from that that we get. And that when we do that, he not only brings the outsiders in, but we continue to give praise to God for doing that. The alternative or continuous first reading is from Genesis chapter 45, verses 1 through 15. This is a huge jump from last week. Last week we had Joseph being sold into slavery, and now he's like the right-hand man of Pharaoh. So in that time, he has been accused of rape essentially, which he didn't do with a wife. He then goes to prison. He kind of interprets some dreams of a baker there. The baker gets released. The pharaoh is having some weird dreams. The baker remembers this and then calls Joseph. Joseph comes up and interprets these dreams that there will be seven years of good harvest and then there will be seven years of poor harvest. So build barns, store the stuff up. We are now in year two of famine, and Joseph finds himself, as we're in this text, his brothers in front of him. Joseph sends the Egyptians out of the room and sobs ferociously and essentially telling his brothers that, I am Joseph. I am here. How is my father doing? Don't be mad at yourselves. Realize that God has blessed this situation. God has sent me on before you so that we can make sure that the tribe of Israel is sustained, that you guys are sustained moving forward and take everything that you guys have, move to Geshem. And when you're there, we will make sure that there is enough 
for everyone and we can all be together. And they weep. They weep because of what has happened. That now the suddenly the sun that they have tried to cast aside is suddenly now welcomed in again. The psalm this week is Psalm 67 verses 1 through 7. This is definitely a praise psalm, and it's this idea of how great is our God and how powerful is our God and all these different things that are worthy of being praised by God. And it's such a cool psalm, and especially even the first verse, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. A very similar verse that we've heard so many times, and that it's, from that, that we are able to reveal a little bit more of what God is doing. The second reading is coming from Romans chapter 11, verses 1 through 2a and 29 through 32. So now we have that Paul is writing still to the Romans, and here he is saying that, are we rejecting people because they aren't of this certain group and by no means he then gives his heritage lines that he is from the tribe of benjamin but he had also been ridiculing the christians before he got saved and so understanding that god still works through us and that we need to still be able to show mercy upon those and have that mercy in us for those who are disobedient the ones who are giving us a rough time in a lot of ways that from that we are able to show the love of christ to others and that that transcends a lot of what is going on but before we jump into how faith and science come together we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions, I've already shouted them out once in this podcast. And for me, not being an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis, being able to listen to Caroline Lewis, Matthew Skinner, Joy J. Moore, and Ralph Jacobson, along with commentaries, along with discussions, all coming out of Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend recommend it. So let's get a little bit more into this gospel text. The first thing that we have to realize is, again, the idea that Jesus is in a territory, in a spot where he isn't, according to him, isn't his domain, where he is, one, comfortable, but two, where he is called to go. It's kind of an interesting thing that is he passing through this time to get to a place where he's wanting to go for continuing this mission? And yet we have this outsider, the person where she's coming to him. And so these roles have switched. Jesus isn't the person that should be attracting. He should be the one that is the the one that is the minority. The one where he is not the dominant force anymore. He is not supposed to be there. And so this idea that here he is in the minority and yet you have somebody coming to him and giving these questions back and forth on what should we be doing, da 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 And then he says how great her faith is. It's a woman to begin with, but two, that it's a person who isn't of the tribe of Israel, and yet he still does work there. Such a cool story. And when we think about this, and especially that it was a woman, I found this really interesting article this week coming from National Geographic. It's a little bit of an older article, but it's all historical stuff, so it's fantastic. Going through six different women, 
who their scientific discoveries were either not acknowledged or looked down upon or ignored for an extended period of time because of their sex. Because women in the scientific community at that point, and it has gotten a lot better, there's still a lot of room on where we can go to, they weren't looked at at the same way as a man. And it's unfortunate because these are great discoveries. And in a lot of cases, people were overlooked for Nobel Prizes because of the gender that they were. And it's really ironic. And you'll find that out. So let's jump into it. So first we have Jocelyn Bell Burnell, who was born in 1943 and was born in Northern Ireland, but was at Cambridge in England. And she was noticing what she ended up discovering was pulsars, which are remnants of massive stars when they go supernova. So showing that they didn't just totally blow up, that there is still something of a dense remnant that is left. And she noticed it by analyzing stuff from a radio telescope and huge amount of data. And so she comes up and figures out this data. But when the Nobel Prize comes up, it goes to another one of her colleagues. And this is kind of ignored that she was the one that really found the discovery in the data, and here we get a man essentially kind of taking some of that credit, and you have multiple people looking back later that she should have received the credit. She was a major part of how we begin to understand somewhat of outer space today. Another one is Esther Letterberg, who in 1922 was born and was one of the people who helped understand how genetic inheritance in bacteria, gene regulation, and genetic recombination happened. So in 1951, she's at the University of Wisconsin. And while there, she is with her first husband, and they are working with petri dishes of bacteria colonies. And they figure out a way of replica replating. So essentially being able to pass these bacteria colonies into multiple petri dishes, which make it so that we can actually study antibiotic resistance and how things like this are working. So when the Nobel Prize in 1958 for psychology or medicine was brought up, her first husband receive credit along with two other men and yet she didn't even though she was a major part of the work that happened and again you'll find multiple quotes talking about how she deserves credit with this. Chang Shu Wu was born in China in 1912 and she helped overturn laws of physics along with helping to develop the atom bomb. So she was part of Columbia University in the 1940s being recruited there as part of the Manhattan Project. And so she was conducting research on radiation detection and uranium enrichment while there. And after spending time with that in the mid-50s, Two theoretical physicists, Chang Dang Li and Ching Ning Yang, approached Wu 
about disproving the law of partility, which I don't fully understand, but it's in quantum mechanics that two physical systems like an atom that were mere images would behave in identical ways. So she then uses cobalt 60, which is a radioactive form of cobalt, and upended this law that had been accepted for 30 years. When, again, the Nobel Prize in 1957 for physics is passed out, she is left out of this. So, again, it's the idea of these theoretical male physicists come to her. She does the work to help prove what they were thinking about, but she did the work. She's part of the project and yet still didn't get acknowledged. Lies Minter was born in Vienna, Austria in 1878 and worked in nuclear physics, which helped to actually discover nuclear fission. And this one's actually really, really interesting. She was working in the University of Vienna, and when there, she collaborated with another male chemist, Otto Halm, and were working on and maintained this relationship for over 30 years. But in March of 1938, being that she was Jewish and the Nazi regime was annexing Austria, she goes to Stockholm, Sweden. But they continue to correspond and actually have a secret meeting to continue this research that they've been working on. Holm performs the experiments and enables to see that there is something happening, but he's unable to come up with the explanation. It's Mincer and her nephew Otto Frinch who come up with the theory. So then Holm takes this data and publishes it, and they don't co-author her because of the situation going on with Nazi Germany. So she gets missed out on the woman helping to understand how nuclear physics came to be and gets omitted because of the conflict going on in Nazi Germany. So when Holm gets the 1944 Nobel Prize in Chemistry, she, of course, then isn't contributed for his contributions of splitting the atom. Rosalind Franklin, we have talked about here before, born in London in 1920. And while she is at the University of Cambridge in 1945, is been working on some different X-ray diffusion techniques and looking at it to try to determine molecular structures of crystals. She is working with kind of what we could look at now as a shifty colleague, who is Maurice Wilkins, who is doing his own research on DNA. While she is at Cambridge, you have James Watson and Francis Crick, which you probably recognize those names, are at Cambridge, and they're trying to understand DNA structures. They communicate with Wilkins. Wilkins shows one of these photos, photo 51, of the DNA that Franklin had. And this is what really is the one that cracks the nut for Watson and Crick to be able to understand the structure of DNA. So in April of 1953, Watson, Crick, and Wilkins publish a paper talking about DNA structure. And in the same issue, Franklin talks about further details on DNA structure. Watson and Crick and Wilkins' paper is ahead of Franklin's. 
What also then happens is the Nobel Prize in psychology or medicine goes to Watson and Crick. Unfortunately, Franklin had died of ovarian cancer in 1958, and then the Nobel Prize couldn't be given posthumously. So there isn't even known if she would have gotten credit. But as we look at our textbooks now, she never gets really recognized, even though they technically stole some of her own work to prove their own. Natalie Stevens, born in 1861 in Vermont, and is critical to be able helping determine organism sex by chromosomes rather than just environmental factors. She was working with mealworms and was able to understand that males produce sperm with X and Y chromosomes, while females' reproductive cells were only X chromosomes. And she discovers this but she kind of falls into the Matilda effect, where is the repression or denial of contributions of female researchers in science. So later we have multiple others who end up taking the credit, like Edmund Wilson, who was doing similar work but came to that conclusion later. And then you have another man, Thomas Hunt Morgan, who is a prominent geneticist at the time, is credited kind of with this, but yet she was ahead of all of them in this work. When we look at what Jesus is talking about here, just because they're an outsider, just because it's not what we're expecting, we are so quick and easy to dismiss what they're doing. And in that same breath, that's where it's that early part of that text, the 10 through 20 come in that we then can defile people or cut them down. And essentially, it's our own pride that's getting in the way. And that leads to other issues that we're stealing, we're slandering people because we don't want to accept what they have to say. In this case, in science, it's that because they were female, we don't want to accept what they had to bring to the table, or we will ignore them, or that because of the Nazi regime, we can't even put her name on the paper and then later credit her that, yeah, she actually did this stuff. We were trying to protect her. It's unfortunate. But what blessings are we possibly missing out on? That's where I look at the alternative first reading with in Genesis with Joseph. What potential benefits are we missing out on because we're dismissing someone? The brothers dismiss Joseph, but yet he's the one that bails them out, that helps them survive. When we realize that God is the one who is delivering us and is willing and able to do that for us and provide a way, what are we missing out on? Just because of the past and what has happened doesn't mean it continues the future. And sometimes it's our own slanted viewpoint that we put them in that box to begin with. In science, it's this weird line that you have to worry about how in a ways you are perceived because you need to make sure that you are credible. You need to make sure that the science and what you're doing is credible by being open to peer review and making sure that you're doing good practices and not twisting results. And we've talked about that before. But as long as you are following that, we shouldn't be just totally regulating people into these weird corners that this isn't worthy of my time. And yet we've done that in the past. 
when we look at these women and what they have contributed to science, unfortunately, in all these situations, we had men take over, took the credit. And the thing is, is in some cases, it was boom, boom. It was really, really close. But in some, there is a little bit of time. That if we had actually spent the time and maybe done our own peer-reviewed research and like, yeah, she's right. It's not because they were the minorities. These are trailblazers in the field. And instead of just pushing them aside, we could have maybe learned a little bit more. Maybe you could have gotten additional information out of them by supporting them. And a lot of these women, when you listen to some of what the interviews are, they're very humble about what they were going through. But there's a lot of grit and determination and things they were doing to get through life while doing this. Not only being somewhat persecuted within the own field that they were in, but you look at people like Burnell who talks about how she had an extremely hard time combining family and career as she was pregnant and had no provisions for maternity leave while doing research. These are things that we now can look at with sympathy and try empathizing with them. But I think the better question is now is where are we doing that within our own lives? Where are we doing that now? Because just because we've been doing better with science now doesn't mean that we're perfect doesn't mean that we're still not being blind to something going on. Maybe I still there is still a predominant white culture in the majority of science and that there's still huge opportunities for other minorities. And the other question that I have myself is, what about these other countries that because they're a third world country, because they're focused on just surviving, are we possibly missing out on amazing scientific discoveries because they don't have the mental capacity because of the situation they're in to be able to do the research and the gifts that God gave them to be more than just surviving life. Brothers and sisters, we have to remember that we are in this together as a group, as a whole. And if we don't acknowledge that, we're missing out on potential benefits and potential things that God is trying to do. And yes, God can still work through the craziness of our lives like Joseph. But are there certain people that we're pushing to the side long before they should have ever been there? So the Twitter question for you this week is to take an honest look at yourself and pause for a moment. And where are you blind? Where are you blind in your faith? Are you noticing the homeless people on the street? Are you thinking about how they're being fed and nourished and maintaining during this time? And maybe it's not that. Maybe it's that you're thinking about the environment. Have you been negligible with the environment and the different things that you do to add to the environmental impact in what you do? Maybe it's social justice. Maybe that you've overlooked different groups like LGBTQ+. Maybe it's different Black Lives Matter, Brown Lives Matter, Native Lives Matter. Maybe it's that you're overlooking other communities within your community, that this is just the bad part of town and we don't associate with them. What is your issue that you're being blind to? I know for myself, it's something that I have to keep working on because there's times when I feel like I do well and I find myself in a situation where I've totally overlooked a whole group of people. And the thing coming from a scientific background is that you don't realize when people are just struggling to survive what potential benefits as a community as a whole are we missing out on because they're in that situation. 
is their scientific gifts that they have or community gifts that they would have but that we miss out on because we have marginalized them or put them to the side. Jesus in that gospel text still takes the time to recognize the woman, to talk with the woman, to listen to the woman, and then realizes how great her faith is and heals the woman's daughter. We have to make sure that we're not doing the same thing but not finishing the task. Are we giving enough time to be able to listen, to first notice, then to listen, then to discuss, and then realize how amazing the person is, and to make sure that we are actually providing genuine help, not just lip service. It's a hard task, but it's an important task in the life of a Christian. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith, and amazes you through science.